Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. As we meditate together, let us focus our attention in our most inward center of being. And to get to this center, let us relax the periphery, the exterior, relax the body, let the muscles soften. Allow the attention to let go of concern for the external world. Allow the consciousness to let go of any worries or any narratives Collect the attention into a single focus. Without intention, without fabrication, but the natural, wakeful state of pure presence, undistracted, non-conceptual, unemotional, impersonal, the body's metabolism will by itself slow down. The energy will become more more expansive, more light, more luminous. Feel a sense of freedom as both body and mind let go.
and allow the peace and serenity of the still consciousness, the silent mind, bring you to the source. the source of life energy, the source of intelligence, the source of love. With the mind completely silenced, the consciousness can feel the prana, the life energy, the chi flowing through the nadis, the meridians, the nervous system. Nourishing all the cells of the body. Bringing harmony to all the organs, all the functions. And allowing the activation of the higher centers of the brain. to bring about a more subtle awareness. in which there is no I-thought. No questions, no doubts, no fears, no desire. But within the peace, the serenity, the tranquility of body and mind. There is a beautiful emergence of the innermost energies and powers of the self.
and a connection with the highest vibrational wavelengths so that the consciousness can attune to the supreme level of intelligence. recognizes the non-duality of all that is. And allows all illusion of separation to dissolve. the highest Shakti flows through the consciousness and its body form and its environmental space. Purifying Strengthening, completing, fulfilling, offering all that consciousness has been seeking. and finds now to be itself.
Let the purifying power of peace saturate into every level of consciousness. Dissolving the shadow Distinguishing the superego. Annulling the illusion of the ego complex itself. the one supreme intelligence is real. The one energy, the one love, the one light. the one ordainer of destiny.
Parabrahman, Parashakti, Om Namah Shivaya.
Namaste. Welcome to everyone. Those who are here in our local space of the ashram and those who are in cyberspace, welcome to all. We are gathered here for a satsang, meaning we come together in order to attain and embody truth, sat, the truth of our being, the real, the non-mortal core, the essence of what we are, of what all is in order to be able to live in unity, in harmony, in divine order, and bring order to a world that has fallen into disorder. One of the byproducts of self-realization is an increase in our vital energies, an increase in our power of creating an aura of protection a psychic immune system that protects the physical as well as the subtle body and that enables the consciousness and its bodily vehicle to endure through difficult environmental conditions and to become more immune, whether to physical disease that can be contagiously spread or emotional contagion that can spread through an environment. And often the two come together. And because today the world faces such difficulties as pandemics and other kinds of social difficulties that are ensuing upon the decomposition of the current social order. It is more important than ever to have that vital power operating at its maximum so that those awakened beings can act as beacons of light and love and healing power for others and provide energy fields that are more safe from those negative energies and more able to 
disseminate the power of peace to all of those who would fall into anxiety or fear because of the spread of various negative forces and the occurrence of events that might seem catastrophic. But those who are self-realized will understand that this historic moment that we are passing through is the greatest blessing because it is the transition from the darkness and disorder of Kali Yuga to a higher order that is being brought about by the return of divine consciousness in a revelation and an actual redemption of those who have fallen into the delusion of ego consciousness and the liberation of all beings from suffering. But in that transition, although we celebrate the coming of the light and the new dawn, it is essential to disidentify from the dark, the false, and that which is dying and disappearing so that the fullness of the beauty that is beginning to appear already in the world that is being invoked and brought in through those whose hearts are open to divine love and willing to sacrifice the ego and its pleasures that bring only more karma and more suffering are able to function as angelic helpers in this time so that the balance of peace can always overcome the instability that is brought about by the death of the illusion and of the separate alienated consciousness and to bring about the ability for all of those beings alienated in fearful ego constructs to let go of them in the most graceful and rapid way possible so that there can be a minimum of suffering during this time of transition. But the sat in satsang, the real of being is not explicable in language. It's a state of presence that is wordless, that is beyond thought, that is beyond the reach of influence from the phenomenal plane even though it is able to have an influence on that plane. And what is essential is to stabilize in that stillness of presence that is united with the supreme force of goodness, of love, of healing, and 
of the power to redream this field of dreams that we call the world. To regain that power, we must let go of the illusion of the powerlessness of the ego or its illusory substitutes for real power, whether in the form of money or prestige or any of the other props that the ego might use that all are in process of falling away and losing their value. Soon only that which is real will remain to hold on to. And so the sooner that we have accessed that ultimate source of security and safety and peace and understanding, the sooner we can become effective assistance in this divine process of freeing the world from the dark forces that have held it in their grip. And those forces have their roots in the human ego. Thus only the freedom from the illusion of the ego that frees us from fear and from being accomplices through identification with the aggressor, which happens out of fear, all of that can be let go of and the supreme power that does not act overtly but acts through the highest kind of magic, the highest kind of synchronicity, the most beautiful emergence in a way that cannot be predicted or predetermined by egoic thought is emerging into the space of life to bring about a transformation that is inconceivable to the finite level of intelligence of the ego mind. It is the good news of this truth, which is in fact the essence of what all religions and all spiritual traditions have been trying to delineate that is now being fulfilled on our planet. And we are offered the option of playing a part in helping to bring that wave of purification to the world. By beginning with the purification of our own heart. This purity means the letting go of all greed, lust, and even attachment to other beings 
that we consider to be bonds of love, but so long as they are within the ego range of consciousness are always conditional and mixed with those lower capacities or feelings and emotions that can turn love into hatred or indifference or rejection or abandonment all too easily, as everyone knows. And it is only the supreme and unconditional love of the one self that unites us all that will be a sufficient power to bring us safely across the reefs that we must traverse in order to reach the farther shore of consciousness from which the new world will emerge. And so we meet together in order to resonate at the highest frequency that we can attain and make that the baseline in which our life energy, the prana, and the energy of consciousness, the kundalini shakti, is raised to its highest level and the capacity for unified action as a superorganismic whole can bring about a change that no individual can accomplish. But only in egoless consciousness is this possible because the ego is what gets in the way of harmony. The ego that wants everything its own way and wants to dominate or wants to flee or wants to fight or wants to create a disturbance or be special or different. All of that that has marked our culture in this postmodern period, all that has determined the form of ego consciousness has now become the obstacle to our own liberation. And each being must be responsible for their own inner transformation. And to do this, we must be truthful and recognize that there are no excuses. But we must have the, the will to truth the will to love, the will to transcend the ego. The will to live within the intelligence of the mind of God rather than the lower mind of ego or even of soul consciousness. And it's this elevation of consciousness from one level to the next that now must be achieved. 
And this can only be achieved through the silence and the attention being given not to our own mind, but to the mind that is dreaming all of our world, all of the cosmos. Because it is only from that level of mind that redemption and renewal of the world can happen. And it is happening, and it cannot be prevented, but our own destiny as individuals, our own capacity to embody this highest energy versus rejecting and struggling against it will determine our own happiness, our own empowerment, our own level of wisdom, not just for this lifetime, but for many, many lives in the next cycle of time or in the next level of evolution beyond this plane. And our own destiny, whether we abide in a celestial realm or a hell realm or some other bardo state or in the supreme light. Is being determined at this moment by every thought we have, by every act, by every feeling that emerges from us. And because all karma has to be settled before the end of this kalpa, we must be in a state of acceptance of what must be, but at the same time of using the freedom of our will to choose the highest possibility that is offered to us for serving that supreme power. The most difficult aspect of this transformation is the recognition that we abide in solitude. We are inherently alone, even though we will feel the presence of apparent others who are in the same vibrational frequency as friends, as colleagues, as aspects of the one consciousness working together. Yet we can only work together at that level of purity paradoxically if we are able to abide in solitude and in independence from attachment to the other. And the reason for that is that 
each individual being constitutes a dream within the dream. And only when that dream within the dream is transcended into the higher level of the dream, the cosmic dream, the dream in God's mind, will that unity that is the solitude of God, the solitude of the Buddha nature, the solitude of the Tao, the solitude of the emptiness, of nirvana, can be integrated with the multiplicity and the apparent activity of this dream field. And so we must practice the non-duality of action and contemplation. Because as pure awareness, it doesn't matter whether the body is active or sitting still in meditation or in deep sleep. The contemplation, the presence of that supreme awareness should remain constant throughout all the apparent change. It is this which is referred to as sahaja samadhi in the Vedic tradition that must become our natural state. And this state is one of silent presence that spontaneously responds accurately to whatever is necessary to be done without effort, without ego, without intention, a spontaneous response to a calling that comes from a deeper level of reality than what is obvious in the phenomenal plane. And thus may have an uncanny aspect to it to those who are not attuning to that level of consciousness. The Taoists call this Wu Wei, action that is non-action. And action that is non-egoic. And every action and every thought Every perception must be of this level of reality so that we perceive the same mode of action and contemplation as the reality of the world itself as a manifestation of the Supreme Consciousness. It is this non-duality within duality that must be achieved now.
with no middleman of a thinking ego trying to figure out how to do it because it can't be figured out from that level. But the more that the heart is open and the more that the mind is primed to receive the messages that come from the source and to act without hesitation on behalf of the supreme intelligence that one serves, then the more this becomes simply the natural way of being that is a flow state that never stops. But it also never begins because there is no one flowing there is only the flow itself that happens within the emptiness of changeless presence. So that's all I have to say. And now I would like to open the floor both to those who are here in this phenomenal space and in cyberspace if there are questions online. And uh, if there are any doubts or any clarifications of all of this that are needed, please do not be shy. Thank you, Shunya. Um, yes, there are a lot of questions, and we're going to be prioritizing those from our members first, but we encourage you to ask your questions in the comments. We'd like to welcome everyone. We have people joining us from all over from Costa Rica, Brazil, Canada, the US, Mexico, Germany, Israel, India, the Virgin Islands, Norway, England, Holland, Spain, South Africa, Russia, Ireland. I'm sorry if I missed anyone, but it's lovely to share the space with you. We have a growing family of Satyogis. It's a joy to welcome everyone from wherever you may be to uh, be part of this satsang. Our first question comes from Sophia. Sophia asks if you can say something about Reiki or other energy healing exercises. Mm -hmm. She says, I'm interested in it because there's a belief that I can feel the energy flowing more vividly through, but I'm not sure if I'm still trying to manipulate or if I'm actually helping the energy flow. The question with all of these kinds of uh, energy channeling methods, whether it's Reiki or Joe Ray or many others that exist, is that we mustn't put the cart before the horse. The energy comes from a source, and it's the source that we must be aligned with. And once we have attuned to that source, the more that we are able to channel it without resistance ourselves to the life energy, without resistance that is based on some subconscious fear of light, of love, of truth, then the more that that energy will flow in a, an unobstructed and an undistorted way. 
And although it may be a useful practice uh, to perform this activity in a conscious way, ultimately what happens is that one simply realizes one is a channel of these energies and they flow always to everyone unconditionally and they don't have to be localized and channeled to a particular being. And the more that we are in that unitive consciousness in which all are one, the more the energy will naturally flow to whoever needs it and can make use of it without the intention of an ego mind trying to decide who should get it and how much and how to do it and all the questions that come with thinking of oneself as a Reiki master or whatever concept one has of oneself. One wants to be free of such concepts and they tend to produce some sort of uh, ego consciousness of uh, concern of how well did one do it and how, uh, how pure and et cetera. All of those uh, concerns and considerations can actually become obstacles to the, the free offering of basically love, divine love to all. But I think that it's, uh, if one feel, feels called to a particular kind of practice like that, then the more that one does it as a service, as a surrender of ego, and as a, uh, a complete offering of one's body, one's mind, one's heart, uh, as an instrument of God, then uh, the more it will help one reach higher levels even than uh, that which is uh, contemplated by, uh, by that uh, frame of reference in which one is a, a bodily being transmitting energy to another bodily being. And even that will be recognized as illusion. Well, I'm certainly not <clears throat> going to pose as an evaluator of which teachers are worth uh, studying with or, or get into any uh, kind of, uh, of a classification even of uh, types of ashrams or, or types of, uh, of traditions and, and their value. For one thing, because uh, everyone's karma will have a different destiny and, and people will be attracted to different uh, kinds of teachers and teachings. And uh, there isn't one truth at that level of the multiplicity and conventional reality that would hold for everyone. But more importantly than that, I would say, is the understanding that the guru is not a person. And the guru is also not to be found necessarily at an ashram or a holy mountain or some other pilgrimage place 
or road or uh, uh, place where vortexes seem to abound. None of that uh, that is externalized, localized, and personalized is the truth. Uh, the, the world itself is the guru. The world itself is a dream that is the mind of God that we must learn to read. And the more that we read it accurately, we discover that the, the teacher we're seeking is within, is our own self. But if in the interim of one's uh, sense of not being able to accurately read either the day waking dream or the night dreams that one may have, or the understanding of the karma that one is going through, then one should find a teacher, A, who has the knowledge of understanding these aspects of reality and articulating them and transmitting them, and who also has the time to work with you individually. If you work with a teacher who has too many followers, too many millions, that you'll never be able to get close to, uh, to some kind of a, a personal relationship, then the value may be less than uh, what you would otherwise get. And you might be better off with working with a therapist or someone uh, who will have an individual relationship that can see the blind spots in one's own ego consciousness as a preliminary step toward the ultimate level of the teachings. So today, I think, in a way, because of how, especially in the West, the postmodern ego structure has morphed, most people cannot get to liberation through a process, even like Atma Vichara, that was taught by Sri Ramana, because of what Ramana called the Chit Jada Granti, the, uh, the knot that consciousness has with the body that produces the ego that is tenaciously delusional. And so what we actually require first is a, uh, a grunty vichara in which we are able to investigate the knot. And if we can't cut it at one stroke, then at least to begin to unravel it and take it apart until we have unknotted the consciousness to the body-mind and eliminated the fear and the desire and uh, the paranoid fantasies that get projected, we can't really make much use of a teacher anyway uh, unless that teacher has the sword of truth that can cut through that knot and is willing to use it. And one is willing to, be, to allow that psychic surgery to take place. So... In the absence of that, I would say that one will feel called, one's heart will be called to a certain kind of a teacher. It might be a teacher uh, of bhakti, or one who is an object of devotion, that one feels is uh, an avatar or a goddess or uh, a, a, a being who has the, uh, the gravitas and the energy to uh, help one be free of the, the, the dark forces that might have uh, taken over parts of one's consciousness. 
but uh, it's important to, to remain discerning of any uh, red lights that might appear, of any uh, fears, and of recognizing that this is your journey and you must be the ultimate determiner of the credibility and the usefulness and efficacy of what you're being taught. But ultimately, it's important not to get too obsessed with teachings of a conceptual nature unless they help you to take apart the knot, but to enter into the silence. As soon as one is able to be in the stillness, then whatever needs to be learned will come from there rather than from any source that seems external to one's consciousness. And it's, it's in this willingness to trust oneself that can only come when one is aware of the presence of the self behind the ego's uh, desire to think, to figure things out, and can surrender to that presence. That is when the guru appears, because only then is the student ready. Is there anyone here who has a question? Yes. Actually related to this untying of the grumpy. Um, can you talk about, oh, hi, sorry, uh, in relation to this untying of the grunty, can you talk about time in relation to the learning process? Uh, you said the other night when the learning happens, the power of that moment has to be metabolized. And I somehow associated that with um, how quickly one learns and thus how quickly this knot or several knots can be untied, but I'm just curious on, because it sometimes feels like it's going to be a long process, and, and is that necessarily the case? I know it's not, because we are that, but in terms of learning, how do we accelerate the learning process, or what is the relationship of time and learning process? It's a very good question, and it's entirely subjective to each individual and to the particular events that happen that provoke learning. And learning is always catastrophic, uh, meaning that if you're going to learn something new, it's because the bottom has fallen out of everything you thought you knew already. And it's only when one is ready to drop the frame of reference that gives them an illusion of certainty and stability that they can take the leap into the unknown in which a new understanding of reality can be saturated uh, by one's consciousness. So in general, one learns through glimpses and through moments of lucidity that soon pass. Uh, and, and these can be uh, usually moments that are shocking and even traumatic. Uh, but they are moments in which uh, the mind suddenly uh, falls away, it's exhausted. You know, in Zen, they will hit people and scream and, uh, and, and do other uh, extreme measures, or at least they used to. And now they tend to give Zen riddles and those kinds of things to exhaust the mind. But the learning only comes when the defenses of the ego are down sufficiently so that new information can come in that completely recontextualizes everything one thought one knew. And... Uh, 
because uh, this threatens the ego's loyalty to the superego figures and the, the model of life that one thought one should be living, uh, it can create a massive uncertainty and doubt. And one has to be willing to abide in that doubt and the unknowing long enough for the real of the heart to come and, uh, and, and uh, create a realization that is internal. It doesn't come from learning because someone gave you words of a new concept or was able to see through a mask you were putting out, but uh, is, uh, is something that, that you have received by returning to the, the ground of your own being and that which then emerges from that ground. So it can happen very quickly, or it can happen in spurts, or it can happen in a gradual saturation of the consciousness, in which you might hear the same thing 10 times, and each time it goes a little deeper and a little deeper, and then finally the ah and, uh, and the recognition that, uh, that completely uh, changes one's life. Uh, so uh, it's not a question of time, but it's a question of one's uh, permeability to uh, the new that is the ancient and the real that then touches one's heart in the deepest way that cannot be denied, which is the only way you know that it is truth and that it is real because suddenly one's life energy explodes into a new creative mode of being that is completely not interested in the biological continuation of life. One is in such a state that one could lose one's life because one has found that eternal life within. And only from there can one live a life of nobility and, and, and courage and uh, beauty because one will not compromise out of fear of the, uh, uh, the impact it will have on others. So that's why learning is an act of empowerment more even than an act of intellectual clarity. Okay, thank you. Bruce. We have a question from Ragni who asks, what is our duty in life and what can I do to support my further awakening? That is our duty, our awakening. And from there on, the, uh, the marching orders we are given will come from that awakened realization of the true nature of the self. So everything that happens to us that brings about uh, suffering is a blessing because it is intended to awaken us. And the more we pay attention to all of the signs uh, that the dream field gives us and we can symbolically interpret uh, the implications thereof, the more we can correct our course uh, to live in a way that maximizes the uh, reception of information that will accelerate the growth from awakening to full illumination to then full liberation. So there is an ongoing process of flowering and of uh, 
metamorphosis that will lead to the ultimate uh, realization and uh, manifestation of the supreme being as oneself. And it's this process that will have its own momentum that, that comes entirely from within uh, and will not require any uh, formal teachings. And, and one needs to get to this level so that one can actually trust that whatever teachings one is receiving that may augment what one has learned from within will be recognized uh, as, uh, as having its uh, specific uh, quality of, uh, of truth and of applicability to one's own life and, be, and one will be able to, uh, to make use of it and metabolize it fully. Okay. Thank you, Shunya. A question from Katrina, who asks, what is the meaning of God's will? And um, she has a follow-up question. If all is God's will and there is nothing but God's will, then what is left outside of God's will? If metaphorically God's will is a river, a riverbed and this water runs fast and strong, can the water change the river line? so that it can reach the ocean sooner. How deep, how solid, how wide is God's will? How much can we partner with God, with God's will, by sinking ourselves to God's will? Well, as you said in the beginning of uh, your question, Katrina, God's will is everything, so there is nothing outside of it. And therefore, it's not simply a river or the whole network of rivers uh, in the world, but the ocean and the all-containing and all-pervading consciousness that is uh, moving us all as, as if we were uh, puppets on the, uh, the field of the, the tapestry of the dream. So there, there is nothing to worry about. One, one doesn't need to be concerned uh, with uh, the will of God, except to the extent that one wishes to, uh, to live a life in which one doesn't have to learn that will through uh, karmic crashes, through having uh, gone uh, against the flow of the river of one's life. Uh, and it becomes very tiring to try to paddle upstream against the flow of that river. So the, uh, the, the will is going to move everyone and it's going, it even determines whether you have a question like that and determines whether you are, are called to, to leave an ordinary life and live a, a life of uh, transformation and spiritual liberation and teaching and uh, healing so that one is uh, one one simply wants to listen to the call of one's heart and uh, the will of god will be uh, will become clear and even if one can't listen that also is part of the will of god that's part of the river having to meander through different territories in order to learn different kinds of information through suffering 
so that one can then have the compassion and the understanding of the suffering of others to later be even more effective as a catalyst for healing. So there are no mistakes, no errors, no um, ultimately no sins, no good and evil even, because all of that is within the dualistic illusion. But if we are to say what is beyond the will of God, we could say the intelligence of God and the bliss of God. So the more we want to live life, our life blissfully and with the understanding of where we're going and, uh, and make the journey conscious and as noble as possible along the way and as uh, helpful as possible, which is also part of the will of God, but that yearning to serve in the highest level will bring about what will seem to be an acceleration of the arrival of the, uh, those powers of the majestic and glorious presence of God in the world uh, to occur more uh, quickly in the illusion of time. And that's what we want to do uh, by having satsangs and an ashram and a network of spiritual beings. But all of this is also simply part of the will of God. Is there anyone here who wants to? No? Okay. Thank you, Shunya. Someone from the, the chat asks, how does one clear the heart of past trauma? First, one has to accept that it was one's karma and to learn from it what is the core of wisdom that it contains and to be able to, through acceptance of oneself and of the other, if there was a... Uh, a persecutor or a, a cause of the trauma to forgive and to align oneself with love and with the power of, of goodness that would not cause trauma to anyone else. And in that uh, freeing of oneself from the residue of the uh, the thoughts that may have arisen in the wake of the trauma, the, the shakti that purifies and releases one from any such past contractions or glitches in the flow of one's life energies will, uh, will easily be repaired and released. self-realization in solitude and have faith that in the moment of ego death it will clear out my lower chakras and bring back all my vitality or should I look for more relative horizontal ways of healing find a way to clear the blockage by healing my relationships with others I don't see those as two different things 
the solitude we need is the solitude that can remain as such within relationships and uh, is the solitude of God consciousness that's always available. But it may well be that the will of God is to heal through uh, relationships uh, in which love can flow. And uh, it may uh, be that one is called to uh, work with experts who are capable of being catalysts of healing, whether therapeutically or through shamanic or uh, other means. And, uh, and one will find that one's uh, heart will call one toward whatever is most efficacious if one doesn't have a rigid pre-decision that it has to be this way. So the more one can let go of the stubbornness that uh, demands that one stays holed up in a cave or that one uh, enters into uh, the, the world of uh, ordinary work, whichever it is, one has to be uh, uh, flexible and, and able to uh, think outside of whatever box one is in in order to receive the information that will free one. And ultimately, it's being outside of all boxes that is the healing. So, uh, so we should never uh, make any predeterminations, but we'll be always open in the moment to what is new and, and what is uh, un unprecedented. Hmm. Okay. surrender, but while one is surrendering, it also is helpful to have the capacity to make good decisions, I think. And uh, I find myself with questions of, you know, how do you go out in the world when there's, you know, those evils out there, and, um, and not be paranoid about it, but make a good decision about what one's choices are when these things are very present on our planet. And so it's, I guess that's my question, is how do you become a good decision maker or uh, live thoughtfully, still live surrendered, but, but still function in one's life? Unfortunately, the ego is incapable of making a good decision. Unless the decision is to kill the ego, which egos don't normally make except under extreme conditions. But if one is willing to meditate and feel what one's heart is yearning for beyond what the ego says, and one is willing to surrender one's pseudo-autonomy and pseudo-sovereignty and be able to take in a higher level of information, it may be that one discovers that the frame of reference within which one was trying to make a decision is what is wrong. And if one can have an accurate frame of reference, then all the decisions that you take within it will turn out to be right, okay? So it's much more a, a paradigm shift that is important than a shift of any individual decision within a paradigm. And that's where the presence of a teacher comes into play because a teacher can help create that paradigm shift 
in which then one is in soul consciousness, if not Atman consciousness, and, and that's where the better levels of decision will come from. And they will come spontaneously to the extent that the ego isn't blocking it. So the, the best decision one can make is to find a teacher that one trusts who one can, uh, can, can get advice from until one is able to internalize the paradigm from which that came as one's own and then receive directly uh, the, uh, let's say, uh, the impulse that will move one in directions that will increase one's intelligence and, and discernment even more every, at every step. Okay? But you have to have a, a, the right start, which is the understanding of non-duality and the illusion of the ego, if, if you're even to begin uh, to, to make decisions that are accurate and beneficial. Vajma. And today I heard you say uh, that giving the silence and attention to the mind that dreams the world, which um, I thought maybe is Atma Vichara, but the question is, do you give your attention, do you, is that right, give your attention to the silence or the energy or the light or the stillness? Who is putting their attention where? Is the mind that dreams the world the self? You see, you are already the self. You already, you already are that one. But if there is identification with thought that is egoic, based in language, based in the identity of the body and the, the ego and its history and its paradigm, its model of reality, that is not the real self. So the, the focus of attention must be, as, as Ramana taught with Atma Vichara, on who is the I to whom those thoughts are appearing and those emotions may be one's feeling. Who is the ultimate perceiver? And that will get one into the silent witness and the presence that is not identified with either thought or body, or with perception of world. And the more one goes into that state, one reaches uh, both an emptiness that then becomes a fullness of the presence of that supreme being, mind, uh, will, love, bliss, it all comes as, uh, as the realization of the self that then begins to, to uh, saturate the, uh, the more superficial levels of consciousness. And that self is egoless. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have a, uh, a sense of separateness from all of this. The, the dream and the dreamer are in unison. And the dream as a reflection of the dreamer is going to be changed uh, in the course of perception itself. 
because once that consciousness is there that has the highest vibrational frequency, it not only perceives what cannot perhaps be perceived by others in lower states, but it actually transforms those, uh, those apparent others uh, into levels in which the same uh, realization uh, can be accessed because there is a mutuality, there is a wavelength, and, and that wavelength is, uh, uh, is, is omnipresent, let's say. Uh, just in the same way that if no matter how many radios were here in the room, they could all tune into the same channel, right? It isn't that one can get it and the other can't. So all uh, beings can receive that uh, broadcast of uh, the Buddha nature or the, the energy of the, the Supreme Presence. And so it, it, it turns out that there is no one seeking it and no one receiving it. The, transcend, the transceiver, receiver and, and the, the, the sender are, uh, are the same. So it's not really a process, even though it seems like it is. It's not the ego's attention that is shifting. It is the self simply uh, realizing its, uh, its true nature as the, it, it lets go of the finite belief system. Anyone else? No one else here has a question, really? Okay, well, I'm, I'm impressed that you all know everything already. Okay, go ahead. Yes, a question from David from the chat. He says, over the past month, I've been crying almost every day, multiple times, but without any sadness, mm. especially during meditation. Hmm. Is there ever a time when I should hold back the tears in which they become distractions? Well, if you're not crying out of sadness, are you crying out of joy? Uh, usually the tears have some uh, emotional basis, unless uh, you've just been keeping your eyes open too long, and uh, they're tearing out of fatigue. But if you are, if you are uh, tearing out of some authentic feeling state, then I don't see why you would ever want to censor it. And uh, it, tears can be a very profound expression and very meaningful for those who uh, witness them as well as those who experience the tears coming out of them. So it's, a, uh, it, it's something that I would consider to be natural and, and not to be uh, controlled. Urbishi. Karma. In the sense that the world has no beginning, karma has no beginning. But karma proper, we could say, begins when the ego begins, right? And in any given lifetime, a, an ego uh, begins to form very early in life. The proto-ego is already there in, in the uterine state uh, before birth. But uh, once the, uh, the ego is uh, inscribed uh, in the way that Lacan referred to as the mirror stage, and one is uh, interpersonally related to others as having a name and uh, a location as a body form, 
uh, and a, uh, a responsibility for one's thoughts and actions, then that's really when karma proper begins and the suffering that comes with it. And what determines how it begins, the first karmic incident? What's that determined? Well, if you're talking about it in any particular lifetime, it'll be determined by previous lifetimes because they will, they will determine what womb you have gone into and, and what situation and how much love is there for you and you, you know, in what way you're going to be received in the world. So, uh, so it's different for every individual. And for some, they are already awakened into an ego state before they're born. And, and if that happens in the intrauterine state, it can produce uh, a tremendous amount of fear because in a, an ideal situation, the ego doesn't form until the baby's motor skills are sufficient so that there's a sense of security that one can get one's own food, one can move out of the crib, one can turn oneself over, right? One can cry and get one's uh, assistance from the other. And if the, uh, if the ego forms and consciousness becomes fearful that one is helpless uh, in a situation perhaps of emotional neglect, which is often where, when that would happen, then it can create a, a chronic trauma that then produces many effects that we know about that are uh, layers of defenses and of uh, dissociation. Okay. Hanuman. Yeah, I think you I feel like you've already been speaking to what I want to ask about. And I, I feel like I didn't necessarily need to ask, but what I really am curious about right now is is that there's so many different kinds of characters that we all play. And I think that there's a sense of being able to recognize the character at this point and even laugh at it and watch it, um, think the thoughts that it's accustomed to thinking, seeing the program just playing itself out. But I, I, I'm curious about the, the patience, and in a way it seems like there's a, a necessary waiting of just allowing what needs to happen uh, for the momentum to play itself out, and then to be able to actually start to uh, shift into feeling that the character is no longer what's running the show and, and just being able to let it fall away. Mm -hmm. I think that's true. Uh, and sometimes that character will fall away quickly, it becomes obsolete and, and uh, a deeper level of one's being uh, emerges that takes over. And, and, uh, and it, may, it may be that it requires a lot of different experiences in order for one to really understand very deeply the roots of that character and of why it's so difficult to uproot because of its tenacious loyalty to, to some belief system or attachment to others uh, or a, a sense of, uh, of love that, that it wants to remain true to, even though it's, uh, it's either a... Uh, a kind of love that's not reciprocal or no longer relevant to life or no longer uh, appropriate to one's stage of development. And so one has to honor those resistances 
and recognize the love that keeps one trapped and be able to take out what is, uh, what is essential in love so that, the, that one's love for God and for truth and for the ultimate, uh, let's say, evolution and metamorphosis of your being into its true nature is, uh, is able then uh, to receive from the source of that love the, f- the freedom, the permission to let go of a character who's not able to transmit that kind of love. To, to fall away in a new character who's able to embody that love and wisdom to emerge. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Thank you, Shunya. We have a question from Robert who asks, uh, when nothing happens in reality, why do we take the drama of the ego so serious? <laughs> I suppose the real question is, who takes the drama to be real? Well, the ego does, and, and as long as the ego consciousness is dominant, then it won't seem like nothing is happening. It will seem indeed like a drama, and uh, a drama is a dream. And if one can awaken from the dream, then one will discover that it's not so much that nothing is happening, but that a symbolic understanding is happening. And once that understanding has taken place, Uh, that which the dream was meant to deliver as a message, then the drama will change. And uh, a new drama will emerge, or else uh, one will graduate from the level of drama, and and what will emerge is is simply the the luminous uh, bliss of the changeless being that you are. Anyone here wishes to say anything? Okay. Thank you. Shaken asks, what is the significance of having a spiritual name? Is it necessary? And by whom uh, receives one his name? No, it's not necessary at all. And it's not even useful for most people who, even though they're given a higher name, continue to act as if the, they are the same ego with the original name. So uh, for most people, uh, it's just a, a gimmick. Uh, so I, don't, I, I think that it's useful only for those who are ready to appreciate the archetypal implications of a spiritual name if it is given by a teacher who meditatively can recognize what are the particular uh, inherent specialities, talents, and, uh, and callings of a given individual that match the archetype that is, uh, is I- impressed into the name and who can, through the meditation upon the name, actualize in their being the same kind of empowerment. But it's a rare person who can make use of, of a spiritual name and a, a rare teacher who can give an appropriate one. And I wouldn't worry about the name. Become the nameless and formless self. That's the real goal of, uh, of, of the giving of names anyway, because all of the real spiritual names point to the source of the archetype, which is that nameless, ultimate, absolute that cannot be known except through being that. Mm-hmm.
Yes, I do. I think there is a, an upsurge of awakening, a wave of awakening that is taking place and of, of people uh, searching ever more desperately because the meaningless of the current meaninglessness of the current world order and its, uh, its precarious nature and its, uh, it, its obvious uh, uh, collapse uh, that is imminent is causing people to seek a higher power and a higher understanding of what's going on. And so uh, there are more and more people awakening, but at the same time, there are more people in a, in a deeper level of denial for the very same reason, that, that it's unbearable to see how bad things are. And so they will use wishful thinking as a defense and even imagine that things are getting better every day. So you, you, you have that going on as well. And you have imaginary forms of awakening and spirituality in which uh, you know, people will be obsessed with crystals or with ayahuasca ceremonies or with other forms of uh, temporary altered states of consciousness that do not produce liberation from the ego. So m there are many things happening and, and you, can, uh, you, can, you can find whatever you're looking for, but those who are seeking uh, others who are awakened will more likely than not find them uh, everywhere on the planet now. Mm -hmm. We have a question from Anders who asks, is there a possibility of a collective consciousness for humanity when enough people become liberated from ego consciousness? Yes, not only a possibility, I would say it's inevitable. It, that we live in a morphogenetic field and the higher and more coherent consciousness is going to take over the lower incoherent uh, ego consciousness level that's now dominant and a new hegemonic consciousness that is, we could call it God consciousness or Buddha consciousness, whatever you wish, is in fact now taking over and will guide the destiny of the planet beyond the death of the current globalized civilization that has become brutal, savage, and, uh, and, and meaningless. So uh, it is underway and the more one attunes to that highest level of consciousness, the more one is also becoming part of the network of the noosphere, which is morphing into God consciousness as Gaia herself, the, the goddess of, of nature, of earth, uh, awakens and accelerates the change through all of the geophysical uh, catastrophic events, as they would be called by, by humans, occur as part of the purification of the planet as well. Okay. We have a question from Nick from the Netherlands, our friend who was here a number of years ago. Uh -huh. And Nick asks, uh, what's left to do after one seems to repeatedly have tried quote-unquote everything philosophy, eco-villages, monasteries, ashrams, relationships, psychedelics, nature immersion, but one is still frequently struggling. Everyone's laughing because they're all in the same boat, Mick. Still struggling with a existential lack or isolation or rest, restlessness, lostness in the sense of what the heck am I, should, should I be doing here on earth with myself, with my time? 
First of all, silencing the mind, that's obvious. And uh, stop asking these questions. And allow yourself to discover who you really are that does have the answer to that question and will motivate uh, the body-mind to, to act in accord with that higher understanding. Uh, but until the ego is out of the way completely, there will just be a, a continuing succession of ways that you're trying to find what you think you're looking for. But it's always going to be a mirage so long as it's the ego doing the looking. And uh, the only way out is stillness, silence, and uh, offering of one's uh, consciousness to the source of one's being. Without that, nothing else uh, will occur except vanity. Mm -hmm. um, it seems that I've chosen the, the long route to liberation. And I say chosen because I recognize that I'm, I'm choosing it. Um, but I feel dissatisfied with that choice. And I'm wondering, do I learn to accept and not kind of battle with the fact that I've chosen this? Or should I radically try and not, not choose this long route and try to... I guess I feel satisfied with my process. And I'm wondering whether to accept it and then just let the journey unfold. Kind of in response to that, kind of explaining the process as well. Or is there like, as this dissatisfaction arose, because I need to like do something? <laughs> the fact that you're asking the question means you're already doing something. All right, you're you are already accelerating the pace of the transformation. It is happening automatically. You don't need to make a decision, but one day you will. And it won't even be a decision. It will be already that you will have decided. It will come from superconsciousness, and uh, and the 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 changes that are happening now that you may not be aware of, that are under the radar of your own consciousness, but that are in cre creating more and more of an incentive for that realization will at some moment have a breakthrough and the person who is asking that question will be gone and the person who is meant to be born in that metamorphosis will, will then suddenly be there and life will be totally different. So uh, it's happening, but uh, in the same way that the moon or the sun moves across the sky very slowly and you can watch it and think it's not moving at all, uh, and then you, you stop watching it and then suddenly it's in a very different place, the same thing is, is happening with you. There is an ongoing change. You're never the same from one moment to the next, and your process is exponentially uh, expanding toward that higher level of consciousness. And at a certain moment, you'll realize everything is totally different. And, and you got there without realizing how much you had changed along the way. Okay. All right, let's have one last one. Okay, we have a question from Oliver from the UK. Oliver, Oliver good to hear from you. Oliver asks, as human beings on Earth, are we all fallen angels? And what is our history? Ah, that's a long story. Uh, 
Well, let's put it this way. We are all fallen from the light, yes. Uh, some of us have actually been in the angelic orders. Some of us, you could say, are fallen avatars or fallen gods. Some of us have fallen directly from the light into the human state. Some of those are here right now having their first birth, first and last, you know, and don't have much of an incarnational succession. So every soul has a different karma uh, in any given cycle because of its, uh, its own uh, individual history that is a developmental one because this is a school and the more that you advance in the school, the more lifetimes you will have and the more opportunities to become an angel and then fall again and learn how to rise again until one graduates even from the deity level and, and then one understands the full potentialities of consciousness itself and moves beyond this plane of manifestation entirely. So, uh, so yes, uh, for, for those who are seeking that kind of a destiny of, of an angelic nature, it's because you already have that in your forgotten history. And those who don't have any desire for anything beyond, let's say, the phenomenal plane of making money or having a good time at the ego level is probably because they didn't have uh, a past in that, uh, that higher dimension that they yearn to return to in their heart. Thank you all for this beautiful satsang, for your contributions, for you in cyberspace. And all of us are one family that is growing, that is connected to the planetary consciousness, and we'll find that there's ever more power and ever less need for questions and even of satsangs, because it will be one ongoing satsang that will become our reality. And, uh, and this will morph into a kingdom of heaven, and it will happen quicker than you can imagine. And it's happening because all of your own hearts want it to happen and are dreaming it to happen. And the goodness of your being is overcoming uh, whatever dark forces might have gotten in the way. And it is this heroic response to these conditions in which you are rising to your highest potentiality that is bringing about the transformation that all of us seek. And I thank everyone for participating. Okay, namaste. We now have some, uh, some announcements by Saraswati. So please. Namaste. 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 And these are announcements for our online viewers. Uh, first of all, I want to say a very big thank you on behalf of the Sat Yoga community for joining us today. And <clears throat> we've enjoyed your presence, your comments, all the amazing questions. I know a lot of them we didn't get to. And we want to extend a very special thank you to our members who have made this uh, kind of offering available through their continuous support. And I know many of them joined us today, and we are very happy to see them and hear from them. For those who are new to Sat Yoga, we wanted to let you know that we have regular satsangs and also uh, many hundreds of videos on our YouTube channel and our podcast channel. And if you wish to hear updates on our new teachings and all of our live stream satsangs, please subscribe today.
Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.